Welcome to this week's episode of The Modern Good. I'm your host, Busy Gold. Conscious construction starts right now. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Modern Good. I'm here with Landon Starbucks. She is the founder of Freedom Forever, a nonprofit organization dedicated to protecting children from abuse, trafficking, and exploitation. Landon is a national speaker, activist, writer, and of course a warrior for children. Her advocacy work is regularly featured on major news outlets. She's passionate about the truth, justice, freedom, and of course, protecting all of our children. She left the music industry as a billboard charting singer-songwriter to use her voice for advocating for women and children who have been victims of experiencing trafficking and exploitation. Her greatest accomplishment is being a mother to three, a wife to her husband, Robbie, and building their life on their homestead in Franklin, Tennessee. So welcome so much to our show. We're so excited to have you. Thanks, Busy. I'm so happy to be here. So... I think for a lot of people that are in this line of work, because you're obviously front and center with a lot of the atrocities that are being committed to children, you have to, I would imagine, have a little bit of a tough skin to be able to be privy to some of the knowledge that you end up being privy to. Was there some turning point that led you to be able to step into this work as your purpose? Because it's certainly not for the faint of heart. I think there was a series of turning points that with each challenge, I became stronger, you know. They say there's a saying like the 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 uh, the pain or the suffering doesn't get easier; you just get stronger. And I think that that's been true in my case. Uh, and I still, you know, arrive at challenges and places where I have to check my boundaries in this work so that I can be effective and show up in the way that I need to. Um, but it's it's you know it's challenging. It definitely is. Uh, I think I've gotten to a place where um, I have good you know boundaries and, and emotional boundaries of how I how I handle this stuff and when I turn it off so that I can you know be the mom I need to be and not be thinking of this stuff so it takes a lot of self-control self-discipline emotional regulation um, and and that's something I still struggle with but it's something that I've you know had to overcome to be able to do this work and what was it that opened up your eyes to what was happening and what was taking place with human trafficking and exploitation of children Right. Well, I was a billboard charting artist um, in the entertainment industry when I was 18, and I saw a lot of um, trafficking and exploitation within that system, but at the time I didn't recognize it, didn't have the language for it, didn't know what grooming was, didn't know of any of those things. And while I didn't myself, you know, I wasn't trafficked myself in the entertainment industry or uh, I was not sexually exploited, I was exposed to it and saw a lot of other, you know, children being exploited, um, you know, Disney stars, Nickelodeon stars, things to that effect. I was, you know, a touring musician and I wanted, you know, this Hollywood dream, um, but there was a very sexual quid pro quo system that happens there and I didn't want to compromise my integrity or values to just be a part of that system any longer. And so I made the decision then to write for other artists, um, thinking that would be better, but it was actually worse uh, because I was working for children, writing for children at these major mm -hmm. networks and I would have to sign NDAs. And I eventually you know, realized there's nothing you can do to pay me to just not say something about the stuff that I was seeing and experiencing and I just, I left. 
Wow, that sounds like it'd be really tough to stomach. And, you know, bravo for having the, you know, guts to not take the paycheck and do what's right and stand up to what you think your moral code is. I think a lot of the people that we've had on this show have found themselves faced with a similar situation. It's like, be of the world, take the paycheck, be successful, or stand up for what you believe in and potentially stand alone. So I'm glad that you took the took the chance and started to stand alone on that. So a lot of people I find that are in this kind of advocacy role as you are, you know, maybe someone shared something with them and they had this awakening. You actually are in many ways an insider. And while it didn't happen to you, you have the firsthand accounts of it. So when you're coming from that place of firsthand accounts, you brought up that one of the reasons you couldn't define it was because you didn't have the language or the understanding of the system. And I think that's one of the things that we explore on this show the most is helping equip people to see and define and understand how systems work together. What are some of the the telltale signs that you missed that you believe if you had been educated, you wouldn't have missed and been able to actually label correctly what you were experiencing? Right. Well, I think that you know, moral relativism is one of the biggest risk factors in society because everybody gets to pick their own adventure. Um, but to what you know, cost? You know, we we if we don't have any shared morality or shared boundaries, then it's extremely difficult to recognize those signs. So, for instance, you know, when I would see <clears throat> parents dropping off their young children alone with a single adult male producer manager, you know, whatever, I I personally was like. Ooh, I wouldn't do that when I'm a mom one day. I'm sure as heck not going to do that. And I would make that judgment. And I would say something like, you know, is the mom okay with you guys smoking drugs here and, you know, kids being in, around this? And they'd say, you know, hey, you know, are you judging us? You know, they would make me feel ashamed for voicing any concern and, and, I, and remind me that I was there to do a job, not to moralize to them. And so, you know, when you, that was a part of the grooming process. And it wasn't just me being groomed to accept it, to normalize it, to not say anything, but this child was being groomed too. They're watching that interaction. They're, they're observing that, oh, this, this is okay behavior and you're not supposed to judge it and things to that effect. And you miss all of those grooming signs, you know, when we keep secrets from parents, when we, you know, uh, are allowing uh, illicit activities like drug use and things around children, sexual pervert, you know, shows and, and expression around children these lines get blurred and then you miss the grooming entirely. And that was what happened in my case because I came from a broken home. I didn't understand, you know, hadn't even processed my own traumatic experiences from childhood. So when I was exposed to those things, I learned very quickly, you just shut your mouth and you don't say anything. And it wasn't until I became a mom myself and, and again, you know, became educated on these issues and, and processed my own trauma where I went back and go and, and was able to process everything that happened in the entertainment industry to know I wasn't crazy that the things I witnessed were indeed exploitation were indeed child trafficking and so um, that is really what you know fuels me today is putting all those pieces together and explaining how how that that moral relativism ties into even you know it's one thing to have the language but if you don't understand how that morality is manipulated to make us all accept this behavior you know that is a, a big missing piece and essentially that's what we've been riddled with for the last three years that pretty much sums it all up right well my truth it's not truth there's no truth it's just my truth or your truth right it's all a matter of perspective which right. you know on this show a lot we talk about how certainly our emotional wounds distort our perception of reality so of course there is 
a distortion of truth that occurs but that shouldn't be the same thing as a a moral compass right so i think that's kind of where we get ourselves into the weeds is our personal experiences are distorted and not necessarily aligned with objective reality but we do need to as a society anchor into objective reality and i think that's ultimately what's under attack right is just this idea that there can be objective reality and truth yes 100 percent. so Obviously, we are on the heels of what now everyone's calling Balenciaga Gate. So we're on the heels of Balenciaga Gate. And I know people like your, yourself and me, I've been talking and teaching about this for at least three and a half years. It's frustrating to have been on the forefront trying to draw people's attention to these connecting points and people don't want to see it. And I'm curious, why do you think that people refuse to see what's blatantly right in front of them? What's actually preventing them from accepting and acknowledging what's happening? Well, I've noticed two different uh, scenarios here. Um, And one is that people do see it, but if they recognize that, if they have to admit that they see it and share the content and and to the things of that sort, then they have to do something about it. So people don't want the moral responsibility. They they don't want the awareness because it's tied to that, that, you know, conviction of having to take action over what you're witnessing and experiencing. And then the other, you know, side is that there is just low information people they're they're happy going along to get along fence sitting not really taking a stand for anything really and so they consume you know just clickbait headlines that's it that's the extent they don't even read the articles of the propaganda you know they they just read the the headlines and they they base their whole reality off of i consume some headlines i and they will you know operate you know from that limited glimpse of of what reality you know objective truth all of those things and so there's some people like for instance we were holding signs at the you know balenciaga protest outside of nordstrom a lot of people were like honking you know great but not that many showed up so there's there's some people that knew and were supportive they just didn't want to show up on their saturday and in cold rainy weather but then there was people that drove by like looking at the signs like what are they talking about you know and so that's where the censorship comes in and these people they're definitely not going to see censored content but they they're consuming you know basic things they don't even know Balenciaga gate exists so those are the two people types of people i've encountered yeah i would i would concur there's definitely a little bit of denial because there's a little bit of maybe we'll call it moral laziness they don't want to have to get off their butts and actually do something it's easier to just pretend they never saw it i think that there's another group too where it's too painful and too dark for them to accept it's like it almost fractures their psyche and they can't actually accept that these things can occur and i would actually hypothesize that when you get to get face to face with that much darkness and evil if you're somebody that doesn't believe in god and have kind of disconnected in that way i think a lot of the reason people can't even look at it or deal with it is because it ultimately brings you back to this concept of good and evil which they've probably run from their whole lives right they don't really want to think about the possibility that oh my god all of this is actually real right because when you see something that dark and decrepit and that organized it kind of makes potentially a lot of the things you've learned throughout your potentially religious upbringing have a little bit more validity to them do you feel like that's something that could happen in society Yes, I mean, that's such a good point. Um, I think that especially in with dark subject matter like child exploitation, you know, I get the people that just tune out or don't engage with it, even knowing it's real. 
And I think that it reflects back to them a lot of their unprocessed childhood trauma, knowing how prevalent child sexual abuse is. Uh, I, I know that I, I tend to mirror, you know, be a mirror to people and um, present to them something that they're not ready to reckon with or deal with. Uh, but then, you know, there's people that maybe just, it, it's too, it shatters your reality. And, and I think it kind of crosses over to the low information people. I think the reason they are low information people is they don't want to deal with reality. You know, they're, they're disconnected. And so it's safer just to consume, you know, let, let put your trust and faith in the media to tell you what reality is, in authoritarians to meet your needs and all that, because you, you can't have a sense of responsibility over reality, over your own reality. And so they just limitedly engage, you know, with difficult topics. Um, I've just noticed that with, with some of the people that they're, they're just, it's almost like they're living in a very superficial level. Uh, yeah, I keep getting a vision of like the, the Truman concept. Show or something, yes. you know, where he, right, yeah. you're just kind of, it's safer to live in this manipulated reality and yes. people don't want to go and bump up against the wall and be like, wait, this isn't real. Right. And the yeah. Matrix, that part where they're saying like, hey, some of these people don't want to leave the Matrix. They're going to hate you for talk. showing them the truth. They don't want that truth. Um, they're happy and, you know, content and their brain, you know, lives in that reality you're causing distress when you are poking a hole in, in the narrative of their entire existence yeah and i think perhaps that's why they short circuit and they just run away from it they they bury right. their head in the sand and even though they know it's true they can't actually function with the information so i think that's why yeah. you know people like you i think the way that you're doing it it takes a lot of commitment you've got to be steadfast you have to be playing the long game and it certainly seems like you're playing the long game which i think a lot of people don't have the heart or grit to do right we live in a very you know you want things right then and there we don't have a lot of patience for things so i think people they want to go to one rally and somehow have some wonderful result at the other side as you know that does not happen trying to move things forward with policy and with public opinion takes time so do you feel like you're in it for the long game absolutely i mean this is more than um activism to me this is definitely not a job you know i don't get any money from this um but for me it was it was a god thing it was something that like in my deep depression processing everything that had led up you know to that point in my life I really didn't have a sense of identity. And, and I was I thought it was in performing, using my voice to perform for people, to create that value for people. And, and God very clearly spoke to me and said, you're gonna use your voice, but not, not to entertain people. You're gonna use it to speak truth and help awaken people to um, you know, how we reverse course here. And, and so that is you know, something that is, it's my identity. This, this work is part of my identity uh, and purpose. And, um, you know, I'm also a mom, and that's my first, you know, most important role and, and, and a wife, but this is my, my work besides out, outside of the home. And so it's, it's, it is, it's a long game for me. It's until I die game for me. I think a lot of people that find themselves at the end of a career that they once thought was their everything can have a tendency to look back and feel regret or remorse or like something was a waste. And I find that more often than not, God uses those careers as training grounds for us to then take those skills and literally pivot them into a slightly different industry. So I think it's beautiful that he prepared you in this way to be on stage, be a performer, and then to take those skills that are now nicely honed to actually be a voice for everything that's going on. So I think that's a really beautiful testimony too. 
Thank so you. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of what we experience now when we see, let's say, graphic images or, you know, even a lot of the things that you expose on your Instagram account regarding these child-friendly, which were certainly, for those of you just listening, that was in air quotes, uh, child-friendly <laughs> drag shows. I think people, obviously, they don't want to believe what they're seeing, right? And I think things like that are at least very overt. I'm curious about what some of the sneakiest under-the-radar techniques are to normalize or prepare or groom kids for these sort of human trafficking, child trafficking, exploitative maybe rings. How do we, how does that happen under the radar, not just with the very overt, overly sexualized things? Right. Well, I mean, what created demand for all of this in America where we, we're waking up and we're seeing children sexualized in films on Netflix, um, you know, everything, all the content kids are consuming is sexualized. That demand came from somewhere. And so I think that you know, as a society, we have all been desensitized and groomed. You know, the first phase of that is the desensitization and that, and then grooming to accept abuse as entertainment. And so that's mm -hmm. why I always say that the entertainment world is the marketing arm for the sexual exploitation industry. And um, I mean, in big tech and porn as well, that falls under that umbrella because, you know, the media we consume is inter it's entertainment. You know, we, we consume it as the same thing as watching TV now, in fact, more so. And so all of those things have contributed to the demand. And so people miss those little things that over time, you know, the Overton window of acceptability of what we will accept. I mean, if you, just the mask thing. I mean, the fact that if I told you five years ago, we're all gonna be masked, they're gonna force it, they're, you know, they're gonna force you out of your jobs, people would have called you crazy. If I did five years ago said, hey, there's gonna be drag performers with fake breasts dancing and shaking their you know, fake breasts in front of children and the children are gonna be giving them dollar bills, people would have said you are crazy. And, and they did call me crazy because I've been calling this pedophile agenda out for a decade. And, and so that is proof that the, the window of acceptability, the Overton window, the desensitization has been in full swing, full effect, but people don't notice it because it's just micro on the day, on the, you know, on the daily. It's just little doses until people get to that point where you know, they don't even realize that they're literally saying things like, oh, well, this all ages drag show wasn't so bad. They weren't naked. It's like, is that the new standard right now? I mean, it's, it's absolutely crazy. So on this show, and if anyone wants to go back and take a listen to this episode, the episode was called The New Deviants. We took a sociological approach to what we've been experiencing over the last 10 years. And we talked a little bit about how deviation typically occurs in spirals, right? We don't have these sharp spikes. Deviant behavior will exist in, in kind of small movements and then the public opinion will shift and start to normalize. We've seen not a deviation spiral, we've seen a deviation uptick that is clearly a velocity that's not natural. So pairing that with this idea, I was in PR for a long time, when you want the public to do something down the road, they're very clear steps that you have to take to get them to accept what you're trying to get them to accept three months from now, four months from now. You know this from being in the entertainment industry, right? If you want someone to accept a divorce, well, you're going to have to start six months prior and start little by little piecing out that information until people are like, oh, we feel bad that they're getting divorced. So to me, this has PR campaign tactics written all over it. So we know that there's this been this sharp uptick. 
clearly there's some sort of agenda that was actually planned, right? We know this with COVID and the masks that you brought up. What would this group be that is actually conducting or coordinating this slow drip campaign for us to just take this deviant medicine and make it normal? Who's doing this? I think there's a lot of different groups. Um, I don't think you can necessarily tie it to just one person or one administration because the tentacles are, are authoritarian. The, ideal, the ideology that is authoritarianism, whether you it's showing up as communist type tactics, socialist type tactics, you know, radical progressivism. I mean, they have all these different names, but it's the same beast of this authoritarian nature, which seeks to control people, um, you know, exploit them for sex, for profit, all of those things. It's, a, it's an ideological evil motivation behind it. So, you know, whether you are, you know, Agenda 21, you know, the, the, that committee of people trying to set global standards, or whether you're this administration, you know, looking the other way while we have mass trafficking in, in our country, these people seek to all profit, to have some gain, and that's the commonality. Um, and so at the entertainment industry, it's, it's no different. And these people, you know, as we've seen with Balenciaga Gate and all of this, they're all connected to each other. It's this status of these elites um, that do business dealings together. It's, it's very connected. Um, so you have people in different facets, the fashion industry, the entertainment industry, pharma, big tech, and they all hang out together. They all, they all go to these, you know, summits and parties and all of that. And so you, that's why that, you know, at the top from all of these different industries, you have this the same commonality. They're pushing these same agendas. And why is it at the top that one of the most common threads between all seems to be pedophilia? What would be the what would be the purpose of that? I think there's there's different things. So first off, you know, Satanism is real. It's a real religion that people practice. And there's a lot of high-level people, if you look into the history of Satanism, of the people within our own government uh, at you know very uh, powerful positions who were avowed Satanists, proud Satanists. You have people like, you know, the Marina Abramovich, all of these people that are connected to, you know, powerful, influential positions at the heads of our institutions across America that are Satanists. So there is an aspect of this that is literal Satanic worship. Um, and, you know, the history of that and the roots of that, child sacrifice, you know, there's there's gods like the ball. I mean, I don't know the depths of all Satanism, but I do know the roots and how it's connected into our our fa the, the fabric of our country. Um, but then pedophilia as a behavior being definitely a, the, the most depraved behavior I think that we have on this planet um, is connected to power. You know, sexual assault is, is about power too. It's not just about the destruction of innocence and children. It's about the power that these people get. It's a very sick power that they, they get from, from torturing and abusing, um, you know, children and, and adults too. And so I think that there is a, from being around some of these people, myself in the entertainment industry, from my husband, you know, directing a lot of these people, you get an idea very quickly of who these people are. And most of them are, are heavy into drugs into the occult, um, they are have an insatiable thirst for power, and it is never enough. These people are, some, in some cases, billionaires. It is never enough because it's not even about money. It's not even about profit. It's about sustaining power. So what does someone do when you have so much power, so much money, and you have a constant thirst for more? It's the same thing with drugs, being desensitized. Eventually, that same hit doesn't do the job, doesn't do enough. And it's the same thing with pornography, where people start out with 
basic porn, if you will, and end up you know, consuming child sexual abuse material. And so that's why I believe that at these high levels with this insatiable thirst for power and control, there's not enough money, there's not enough you know, a CEO position at various orgs that can, can quench that thirst. And so pedophilia becomes a, a, a next step for these people. And I can definitely attest to that from a variety of industries that I've worked with. And I was a celebrity trainer in Hollywood for a long time. And I've had many clients in my later years of my career that have worked on super yachts and in all different positions. I work in the mental health industry now. And I've had a few clients that have, for whatever reasons, in different positions, had a role in being present on some of these billionaires' super yachts. And one of the consistent themes that they're coming to me to process trauma for is being exposed to very coordinated um, child sex abuse where there were kids that were literally kept as slaves on the boats just for these people all the time. They never were allowed to get off the boat. If you questioned it at all, they had people go missing that were on their staff if you questioned it or everyone just had to sit there and pretend like that was normal. And because they were out in waters that were not owned by a specific nation, somehow they weren't committing any you know unlawful conduct so these things do happen and i think a lot of times as we're saying people don't want to acknowledge it and it really is it's every tippy top of every industry that you go to they all end up being connected and i think this is ultimately why people then start to throw around this word conspiracy theorist when the reality is conspiracy just means a small group of people plotting against the whole. So if that's what you're saying, then yes, this is absolutely a conspiracy. But I think you brought up a couple things before we started that I think are important and even important from a biblical context. So sin, transgression, and iniquity are all very important biblical terms, right? So sin is when we make a choice. Transgression is when we make many choices that are all part of that sinful nature. Iniquity is the result in our DNA and our blood. So when sinful nature of people has turned into a pattern of transgression, and that is actually in the DNA of people's children, we actually do genuinely see bloodlines leaning more into pedophilic behaviors. So I loved how you mentioned, like, this isn't just an elite problem. This is all over the country, all over every country, right? This is not people that are wealthy. This can be people that are at all different levels of society. So... You know, the thinking here is that really once that is essentially housed in your DNA, you're more likely to allow or lean into these sort of more animalistic, dark natures of yourself. So, Absolutely. you know, do you see that this really is just every every class of people and it is more of a global problem and not just one particular group at the top? 100%. You know, I mean, we could argue that there are certain people that push this and normalize it, just like you were talking about, a PR campaign to desensitize the public into accepting certain behaviors, uh, certain grooming behaviors, and, and then the problem has become exponentially bigger than ever before because of that push. You know, when you have a marketing campaign, you know, and, and funding, something is going to become more popular. Uh, product is going to become more popular. So that is essentially what, what's happened with pedophilia. Um, it's always existed throughout time, and some people argue, well, it's always been here, and that's true, but it has not been here to this extent. We have the largest demand we've ever had for child sexual abuse content, material, traders, profit, um, trafficking rings than we have ever had before. And um, 
that is a product of not just the elite, their demand for it, but the day-to-day person, the, the pastor on your street, the neighbor. I mean, the amount of pedophiles we have based on the uh, the numbers that we're seeing of actual, you know, CSAM available, reported, all of those statistics indicates that we have um, probably, you know, 500 pedophiles in every community or city, um, at least, because of the nature of that demand. And so that means that we all know one. We all are connected to one ourselves without realizing it. And so um, child sexual abuse is, is silent, oftentimes nonviolent, because it's been normalized within the home. And so it is so prevalent that, you know, we have pedophiles that are fathers, pastors, uh, embedded in schools, and we're so focused on the elite at the top. And I think that's where we miss the mark sometimes is not recognizing how pervasive this agenda has been, how successful it's been, how successful the marketing of it has been, and it's now in our homes and in our communities. And until we deal with those weeds and uproot it, it doesn't matter what the elites are doing. It's going to continue to, to, to destroy the fabric of you know, our homes and you know, God's design for us. So I work with teen populations at a therapeutic boarding school, and over the last couple of years, I've seen a major uptick in self-trafficking. So instead of actually being taken by a trafficker, these girls are willingly doing it to themselves and would seem are somehow primed into this behavior because this isn't something you just naturally come up with. So have you seen this rise in self-trafficking? And do you think this is part of the goal of normalizing the pedophilia agenda to just get kids to opt into it willingly? Absolutely. I mean, look at OnlyFans. Look at the celebrity influencers that pushed OnlyFans, which essentially is like a prostitution, you know, platform. And then by virtue of those celebrities pushing those platforms, it becomes normalized and more young girls, the second they turn 18, in some cases before, because they're not verifying age and consent, Mm -hmm. you know, you have these girls on, on exploiting themselves. You also have an increase in what we call user generated CSAM. Um, child sexual abuse material that they are sending to each other. Why are they sending things to each other? You know, um, and that increases the risk of sextortion. Well, the reason is schools are. Well, I've never heard that term sex before. Sextortion. That's a good one. Everyone yeah, like listen up to that one. Sextortion. I've, yeah, that's a so, great one. Yeah. So and and that ha- that is what's happening a lot too. And schools are actually the radical sex ed and schools are encouraging. Uh, mm. kids to send CSAM to each other, to send child pornography to each other. The problem is once it's online, there you know, and, and kids don't get this messaging, once it's online, you're never getting it down. I mean, you're lucky if you do, but it, it will always be in the internet somewhere. And so the, the, this is the, the great injustice that's happening in our education system is that educators are grooming, whether they know they're doing it or not. I know there's good educators, they, they think they're doing the right thing, but everything from keeping secrets to parents to pushing books that promote the use of grinder and adult websites to go meet strangers and send you know send child pornography to 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 maintain a emotional uh, what do they call it they didn't say emotional it was like something about strengthening your relationship showing affection as a means mm-hmm. of showing affection and establishing trust oh, in a relationship that is so twisted and that is grooming so sick. <laughs> so it everyone's is. It clear is that's actually classic <laughs> definition i mean it you're one step away from once that picture's uploaded, you know, somebody somewhere is profiting. So you are now a victim. One sending one photo, you can become a victim in just five seconds. And, and so that's why so much work has to be done with the prevention and education arena, uh, because this problem is out of control. 
So I think that perfectly segues into what's come out recently in some of the Twitter file drops. Clearly, the person that was supposed to be in charge of trust and safety appears to, at least from his own text messages or his own tweets, be in fact, at least turn a kind eye toward pedophilia himself, if not actually be a user of it. You know, people suspected for a long time that there was a top-down approach uh, as part of the mechanism at Twitter to allow child pornography to keep being rampant in its ranks. Do you think from what you've seen come out, this does appear to have been something that they were somehow instructed to do and to not actually make it a priority to stop it? Absolutely. I mean, an interview I'm about to do, too, with an FBI whistleblower indicates that there is some orders coming to them saying, don't focus on this epidemic of child exploitation. And that has been the same thing for these, you know, social media platforms is it's become more important to focus on censoring people that have a political viewpoint you might not agree with, meaning conservatives or Republicans or, you know, people's truthers or whoever you want to call it, you know, over reporting CSAM, getting a hold of it, having accurate reporting. I mean, basic stuff. That's why I can't, especially knowing what I know about about all of these things, about the statistics, about how things are reported, you know, the, the chain reaction that happens from the moment, you know, CCM is identified, everything I know about the technologies, the algorithms, there's just no excuse. I mean, there I cannot sit here and say, oh, this was just an oversight or this was just one person that didn't do their job. This was a algorithmic, you know, AI agenda to ignore this issue and allow it to proliferate, allow pedophiles to organize, to coordinate, allow children, in some cases, ad buys to profit off of the child sexual abuse material on their platforms. And, and to this day, I mean, there is, there's victims that couldn't get their material down, children, and, and there's lawsuits and they still couldn't hold them accountable. And politicians still failed to hold big tech accountable. So. You know, I, I could go off on a tangent about that because I'm so passionate about the scope of this problem and anybody that tries to minimize it or, you know, make excuses for Yoel Roth or, or even Elon Musk or anyone else. You know, th this problem was allowed to get to where it was at. Yeah, it was clearly not an accident. It had to have been coordinated and it's certainly not from a lack of technology. Right. That's for sure. So I think you hit some great points there that I want to unpack. So one of them being... Obviously, I won't name names, but we have someone that we're close to on the show that was working in a state department for human trafficking, and she was working there during the previous administration and was there for the changeover to the new administration. And what she had tried to, and I'll be careful about what I share because I know that she's in an active, an active situation with this, but let's just say she tried to bring some of these issues to the attention of her higher-ups and was effectively silenced and scared and threatened. And when tried to actually use the whistleblower clause was threatened more, which is very alarming. What she noticed immediately upon transition from one administration to the other was a large chunk of money that was allocated to fighting human trafficking from the previous administration was just gone, disappeared, was no longer able to be used. And active investigations where they knew where targets were, they were no longer allowed to go get them. So what are your thoughts hearing that? Does that sound like something that you've heard from other parties about what this 
transition happened. And, and I know that this isn't about one president or the other, but certainly there's coordination of dollars and service people. So I'm curious about if you've heard anything like this during the changeover administration. Um, yes, countless individuals. And even, you know, a lot of these people won't pursue whistleblower status because they know that they're not protected. And that's sad because I want to encourage more people to come forward, but they're not, you know, protected. They're not treating whistleblowers uh, the way that they should be by law, um, treated and protected. Um, and and I, that's such a shame because we need more voices coming out exposing, you know, this stuff. And that's why I'm so grateful for Project Veritas. And even Same. my organization, you know, have a, we have a wing that helps, um, you know, protect the integrity, uh, you know, the privacy of these these people's stories while sharing truth. Um, and we need more of that. We need we need better journalists, essentially, um, willing to tell these stories. But this is happening across the board. And and with one instance, with the unaccompanied minor crisis, um, you know, we have these children being flown out across, bussed out across America to hide the optics of this crisis and it's just incentivizing it to continue um and we're creating a parallel uh, exploitation system that is you know our department of family services that is rife with exploitation and trafficking and we're now creating a, a parallel but also competitive sadly because the the american children in those systems already don't have the resources already don't have the homes and then we are literally creating a child you know uh, vulnerability uh, a vulnerable population crisis that wasn't there before and now and and monetizing it and that's what's happening here with this with the unaccompanied minor crisis so we have you know we work with a whistleblower in in, in this area you know um, coming from these high level government agencies who is directing us on you know ways we can expose this um, and hold politicians accountable for their dereliction of duty to to you know rectify these issues. So you brought up that it it seems that people trying to use whistleblower status are not actually being treated as the status would deem them to be treated. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like this is just further evidence that there's a little bit more involvement at different levels to keep people silenced? Yes, I mean, look at the FBI. They full on admitted that they were taking, you know, they weren't, they didn't find child exploitation to be a priority. You know, the epidemic that we have of child exploitation, it wasn't a priority, but January 6th was a priority. So even years after, I mean, and, and that, if you can't get your investigation done and it takes you years, I mean, how, how incompetent are you guys? You know, so it, it angers me that the FBI is saying that child exploitation is, isn't a priority. And look how they botched the Larry Nassar, the gymnastics case. Those victims were treated horribly. They botched that case um, and they failed to act on so many um, calls for help from advocates, from organizations, identifying exploitation, identifying trafficking rings, our reporting systems, everything has these gaping holes. And at some point, you know, when you do this work, you're like, why is this happening? I mean, is this, is this just a mass coincidence that everywhere I look, there's corruption, exploitation, abuse within the system, and some, somebody's monetarily gaining? Or am I going crazy? I mean, is this all a big coincidence or, or is this intentional? And I think that hits the nail on the head. And we've definitely talked about some of the tentacles into CPS in what you're discussing, where there's definitely financial incentives to remove people from homes and to quite literally, in many cases, knowingly pimp them out and traffic them from within the organization. So 
it's true no matter where you go eventually you bump into this and i think this is that way in big pharma politics hollywood cps i mean if we even want to go there really like medical kidnapping like all at the top this is where this goes so you know we talked about it a little bit in regard to twitter and you mentioned that it seems to be algorithmically coordinated so whether that is we can put a, put a slight pin in that but i think it's tied to where i'm going here so there's some sort of tech piece involved here. We certainly have the tech to find it and root it out, but for whatever reason, we're choosing not to do it. I think one of the things that we've been exploring quite a bit is that at a certain point where a lot of these things connect, including masking, COVID, uh, the Great Reset, all these things, Klaus Schwab, it all really goes back to transhumanism and this idea that they want us to somehow give up our organic humanity and merge with technology and merge with the artificial world. So certainly when we saw Meta come out or change its name to Meta, one of the first few exposés was on the ability to basically go engage in child sex on in Meta, right? In kind of a virtual reality sort of setting. So we know that even the virtual reality space itself is is clearly a catalyst for that and it's rampant all in those industries and, and parts of virtual reality. And now with this Lenza app, I don't, did you see people doing the Lenza app the last yes. couple of weeks? Yes. So it clearly, it hypersexualizes everybody's picture, right? I mean, I think it, it basically turns every person into a porn star crossed with a, you know, video game character. Now, mm -hmm. I had a few people bring up to my attention that people, put their kids' pictures into it, and it literally turned their kids into these like virtual reality child porn stars. So all of this to say, clearly, I find that transhumanism and the satanic agenda always seem to coincide. You can't, anywhere you go, they seem to at least come together in terms of people and social interactions. So do you think that the human trafficking child exploitation has a role to play in this transhumanist agenda? And if so, what what is that role? Where do they intersect? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the the supply is greater where there's less interference um, and there's less normalization. And every, every aspect that creates the demand from the marketing to creating the supply, you know, via, via you know, artificial crises, um, poor policy, you know, intentional poor policy, all of these things, point back to, you know, these people that are in power and you look at America and I don't think we really have, you know, Congress in control. I don't think we have the, the, the three branches anymore. I think we have a technocracy. Um, and the, the reason I say that is all policy, you know, they used to say, you know, politics is downstream from culture, but it's really the well, policy is downstream and dictated by big tech, which is the transhumanist agenda. And, and, and that's really about controlling people. It's, it's, that, that's why I always say it, it's authoritarianism, like the spirit of authoritarianism that comes from Satan and evil, you know, to control what God controls, um, to, to overpower him is, is, is that transhumanist agenda, agenda is hijacking our humanity um, and making us subservient digital slaves. And so they control everything. Our politicians, all you have to do is look at their donors to know how much control big tech has over them. All you have to do is watch the hearings to understand what new policy where we lose one more right, where, where we're allowed to be digitally exploited and turned into you know, human capital uh, with our data. I mean, and then tie it to the politician who voted for it. 
it's 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 a chain reaction and so you have to ask yourself who's really calling the shots here and that's why i believe that in many ways we are we're in a technocracy already without even realizing it we just have puppets in washington that are an extension and an illusion that there's some sort of you know process to all of this and you know in some in some cases there's some wins and that's great and that's why i say it's not a total technocracy yet but you look at all the meaningful policy changes that are having the, the most devastating effects on our lives and it is all connected to the power the inflated and unchecked power that big tech has and and by, by virtue of the fact that they're protected by section 230. so you brought up a ton of great points there and it was exactly where i wanted to go kind of on the topic of political affiliation in general it seems to be that this becomes somewhat of a bipartisan issue which i'm always shocked by how could anyone turn child exploitation and pedophilia into a partisan issue so i guess i'm i'm wondering on your end why is it that this seems to follow a political divide and why are people that don't identify as conservatives not at all concerned about this or wanting to make it a priority well gosh that's that's loaded because i mean there's a lot of bias that comes in you know a lot of programming that comes in of like how am i supposed to feel about this before actually doing the right thing and you know i i always say that like i'm not allegiant to any party i'm allegiant to the truth and if the truth happens to align with something or a policy that's that's what i align with um but you know i'm, I'm a christian i am a conservative i'm not ashamed of those things um, but again, if a Christian conservative puppet in Washington wants to vote for an open border, I'm completely against that. Mm -hmm. So I think that as an, you know, this is the attack on individualism has produced a collective, you know, of people that don't know how to think critically for themselves. And they are allegiant and, and subservient to these parties, to these stick figures, you know, instead of allegiant to the truth, to God, to themselves of what they're supposed to do. You know how they're supposed to feel and think and and their their moral morality um governing all of that which is what should be happening right so we should be checking our moral compass of hey is it right to have children exploited on the internet um even if it's simulated even if it's cartoon no the answer is unequivocally no but how is this becoming partisan and to answer that question look at like the border issue because this is a this is a painfully obvious one you have the the, the left advocating for open borders virtually across the board all of their policies i mean this administration to the actual democrats in power it's not just a select few they they believe that in open borders all of their policies their sanctuary city laws so that's their standpoint and you know you have people on the right that are for closed borders that's when it becomes a political issue because we believe that the open borders are fueling not just believe this is a fact fueling the human trafficking epidemic the crisis it is creating uh, all sorts of lawlessness um uh, crime stats, I mean, rapes, uh, letting, it's a terrorist threat, it's a national security threat. I mean, the, the list is so long, right? But it becomes a political issue now because of the human trafficking element. You know, they say, oh, well, it's, it's, it's human trafficking, it's nice, but then they want to say we're for open borders. So then you have the left and the right, you know, arguing over these things, which 10 years ago, we would have all agreed that a country isn't a country without a border. Right, and that's very true, and people always want to turn their head away when you show them actual video proof of their favorite democrat politicians advocating for closed borders they're like well things change people change I'm like, all right this it goes back to this change seems to be very coordinated because we've seen over the last 10 years 
really what Democrats once believed they no longer believe anymore. It's been completely swapped out for something else entirely. And I have to say, I'm genuinely surprised at how many people I know are intelligent that are still not standing up and saying, you know what, this isn't this isn't what it used to be. We need to stand up and actually do something about it. And I do just want to, you know, give a shout out to Tulsi Gabbard for actually doing and saying the right thing and leaving the party because anyone that is complicit in that right now, and believe me, I'm not saying that the Republican Party is perfect by a long stretch. I think, I think this exists in both aspects of the party system. But I think more so than not in the Democrat Party, you know, Republicans have stayed relatively strong in values. Not too much has changed. But what's happened with Democrat policy is literally a 180 and people just are in denial or won't admit it to themselves, which I find to be absolutely bizarre. Right. And And do you think that's just, is that pride? Yeah. And it's tribalism. I mean, Mm. you know, you have to reconstruct your entire identity if your tribe turns against you. You know, and one little slip up and saying, hey, maybe we shouldn't be cutting off the healthy breasts of 12 year old girls could cost you your entire friend circle, couldn't cost you your entire, you know, your child's friend circle. I mean, that's what happened to my husband and I just for saying that we supported Trump in the first election and, you know, and uh, wanted to close our borders. Our daughter was bullied at school. We lost our friend group. We were ghosted. And that that was we didn't even come out as like proud conservatives or anything like that. It wasn't even a. I'm declaring a party thing. It was like, hey, we see this issue at our border and we are standing up for this one policy, which should be a bipartisan thing at the time. And our, our, you know, our full, whole family was canceled before cancel culture was even a, a word for it or a thing. So, I mean, that, that indicates to you, you know, this is what the reality is of taking a stand. Taking a stand requires sacrifice and risk. Jesus definitely reminded his disciples as such. So we, we're all we're all in the know, right? He said, only follow me if you hate your family and children because basically everyone's going to get ridiculed and potentially ostracized from their group. So right. thank you, Jesus, for giving us the little prophetic words before we all tried to walk down this path. So obviously we've mentioned a few times that faith is part of your walk and part of what drives you into this purpose. And I'm pretty clear, as I'm sure you are, that this is ultimately a spiritual war that has physical elements that we're seeing and experiencing. So I know how you take care of yourself physically. What are some of the things you do to protect or equip yourself spiritually to do the work that you do? Absolutely. Well, prayer is first and foremost, like the most important thing. Um, Before every podcast I do, every day i mean really is staying in a constant state of prayer and it's not like this formal thing for me it's just talking to god and on a constant um you know basis of just asking for help and guidance over what i'm supposed to do because where i get off track and where i where i struggle in my faith and and there's division within with with my relationship with god is when i'm doing what i think i need to be doing and i'm not consulting him and leaning and trusting the holy spirit to guide me of should I trust this person? Should I pursue this, you know, uh, case at this moment? And so it's just learning to trust God in all things has been something that has been very, you know, spiritually um, for my growth right now that, I, that I'm dealing with. And um, the more I trust him, the easier <laughs> all of this is. I mean, the more strong, the stronger I am to deal with the very difficult realities of this work. Um, so staying in constant prayer, starting my day with prayer, uh, aligning myself with uh, support with other strong uh, women who are covering me and my family in prayer, 
um, and you know going someplace where I can worship with with people who um, are you know interceding for this is a spiritual battle and so it's important to be yoked with people that know how to intercede know how to pray for you um, and so all of those things are really important raising my children uh, with those those values and not just saying it but living it and um, putting God first in everything you know that's that's it for me. If I can't do that, if somebody's asking me to compromise, you know, with that in some way, that's a sign to me that that's not somebody God's sending in my life. So, you know, it's just learning to trust um, and work with the Holy Spirit, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And I think so many of us struggle with that because we're so driven by fear and desire to control or know our outcome that it can be hard to allow ourselves to be led. And I think that's a lot of what we talk about on this show is how to rewire emotional trauma so that you can actually allow yourself to be led by Holy Spirit. And I totally agree. It changes everything when you really lead that prayerful life and allow yourself to do what God wants you to do rather than what what you want to do. And that's certainly the prayer that I pray every day. I'm curious, knowing that you have kids and you know about everything that's unfolding, how much do you include or educate your kids about what's going on both spiritually and practically with the child exploitation agenda? I mean, I would say, you know, what is age appropriate? Obviously, I'm mm-hmm. not, you know, talking to my, you know, then two-year-old about pornography, but, you know, wherever they're meeting the risk in the real world or digitally, we're going to have that conversation before the world does with them. And so, uh, we, we talk about everything, uh, you know, in an age-appropriate way, um, you know, what pornography is, because the reality is, even if we have protections on our home, you know, when we watch a YouTube video as a family in a shared space, inappropriate ads come up, things come up. I mean, we were getting a juice at the juice bar the other day, and there was a magazine from, from a, a big national magazine there, and it was saying the boner awards and there was like pornographic content on the front and i'm just going <laughs> you can't even go get a freaking juice anymore without having to <laughs> oh, have no. these conversations with your children you know it's just but that's why you know it's so important to equip them is you know the world's gonna teach them or we teach them um and those first impressions and and laying that foundation is so important because they are going to be exposed by hearing people, talking to people, even if you don't let your kids watch Disney, even if you don't give your kids smartphones, even if, you know, my 14-year-old, she's not on social media, but she knows what it is because other parents at the, you know, Christian conservative school allow their their kids to have social media. So she understands it and we talk about it. We talk about why that is, why those those parents make the, that decision, why those kids, how it affects them, how it affects girls differently from boys, um, how, you know, these companies mine data you know, how they, how they make money off of it, how they can create psychological shifts in people that, that drive them into spending more time online and why she sees her, you know, friends needing and, and obsessing and talking about TikTok, right? She sees it firsthand because we really, we talk about it from a very holistic, you know, perspective and, and not in a way that's like, I want you to know how bad TikTok is, but like, I want her to know how these people manipulate because she can never be a kingdom warrior if she doesn't have the digital self-defense skills, the life defense skills to to know how to respond and understand why these people choose this, how they interact with it, and all of those things. So it's kind of, it's, it's these are great conversations. Like, I enjoy these conversations with my kids. It's not like, oh, we're going to have the porn convo. We're going to have this. It's like, this is here. We got to talk about it. I mean, that would have been a different conversation 10 years ago, the porn convo. This has gone to a whole different level. Do you teach yeah. them the spiritual implications of some of these transactional elements of society as well? 
Absolutely. I mean, that's part of all of these conversations is, I mean, number one, like, why did God have this design? Like everything from, you know, female, male, those roles. Why did he say, you know, that you know, a, a woman will, you know, cleave to her husband? Like why submit to her husband? Like, what does that mean? We talk about all of these things in depth. We, it's not just a blind obedience doctrine. I want them to understand it. So it takes hold and the foundation is strong so that when other people come and try to pick it apart or dismantle it or, you know, preach the moral relativism gospel, they can identify it a mile away. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of my oldest because, she, I mean, she's pretty based and in ways that I don't even think I taught her. I think that it's just, you know, God showing up and her having a heart for, for what God wants. And it's just pretty cool to see that, you know, that, that what God can do in the heart of a child who has been trained up to love and honor God, first and foremost, if you get nothing else right, right? Absolutely. And I think sometimes people on the left take the stance that to teach kids how to think critically in these morally tangential areas, you're somehow also creating a kid that doesn't know how to be empathetic and kind. And I find that to be completely categorically false. My kids, we do all the same things that you do at home. And my kids have a heart for all human beings. My kid's not going to sit there and point a finger and ostracize a non-binary kid but they're also going to deeply know the truth for themselves and be able to be the light for that child so i think sometimes it's like if we don't accept and normalize that means that then we are in some sort of hatred and disdain for and i don't i don't feel that people that are doing the type of work that you and i are doing i don't i don't think that we walk our lives that way do you teach your kids to be empathetic and kind toward all people Yes, absolutely. And, and actually, we laugh when people assert anything other than that. Um, and it, it's a just it's a tactic of the way that they have to instill bad ideas is creating a false illusion of like this binary of like, if you don't do SEL curriculum, you're a bad, intolerant, hateful person. If you don't support all age drag shows, you're a bigot and a homophobe and a dragophobe. And, you know, that's that's what this ideology has to have is is that you know, that binary, you have to fit in one or the other box. And you cannot just be a person with your own views and saying, if you're an adult, do your drag shows. I'm not into it, but if you do it with kids, that's where it becomes exploitive. Sexualizing kids is always wrong. Doesn't matter how you identify. That's the end of the conversation, you know? So it's, it's, it, I, it's beyond me that, you know, we're constantly having to defend ourselves. Like I, I've come to a place where I, I'm no longer doing that. I'm no longer going to engage in debate on why sexualizing children is wrong and entertaining this idea that there's some legitimacy to this argument. You know, I'll debate other things, but there's some hard lines we have to draw morally. I mean, the only people that have tried to draw legitimacy to it in the university research space are actual pedophiles. So I feel like that pretty much strikes any of their opinion from the record. And anytime you try to point that out, you're transphobic, which we've done on this show extensively with John money and all of the other ones at the University of Indiana, Kinsey and the like. Anytime you get to the foundational roots of research in the university system on gender identity, child sexuality, you always find a pedophile. So right. I think, you know, that's it's an unfortunate reality for people that want to believe that that's transphobic. But the reality is anytime you look any thread that you pull, that's what's waiting for you on the other end. And I think now there are, thankfully, a few university professors willing to stand up and actually tell the truth, because it seems like right now we've talked about the truth is 
not something that people are allowed to talk about anymore. And, you know, I'm sure you've seen the what is a woman when he's like, I'm just trying to get to the truth. The guy was like, this interview is over. I'm like, All right. This is we've gone too far, everybody. If if asking right. for the truth is in and of itself transphobic, we've lost our minds. We're not in right. reality anymore. That's why the you know, critical race theory preaches that critical thinking is, you know, a byproduct of um, you know, the cis patriarchal construct, you know, so that's, mm-hmm. they have to tie all of those things that make us think for ourselves and be individuals to bad things so that people just are afraid, you know, I'm going to lose my tribe. I'm going to lose acceptance and friends. If I align with this, if I take a stand for anything that deviates from this homogenous group think. Yeah. And then they go even further to penalize you with your group for curiosity. Now you're not even allowed to be curious anymore. You can't ask questions. And that's one of the things that we try to make sure we're always focused on, on my podcast and any of the church services that we do is just questions are important. If someone's unwilling to be open to any and all questions, they're probably hiding something. And there's maybe that just goes out to everyone in the audience right now. If someone needs to have control over what questions are being asked, that's usually a red flag. Absolutely. I always say, how do you know you're in a cult if you can't question the cult or the leader? You know, that's absolutely it doesn't matter what you're it could be a friend group and that friend group could be a cult if you're not allowed to ask any questions or question the leader. So that's a good litmus test. Absolutely. And, you know, I would say part of my foray into this industry, I did a talk at one of the Turning Point events in D.C. back in 2018. And I gave a speech exactly on that, that really the way our government currently functions is that of a cult and broke it down in terms of all of the emotional and psychological mechanisms that they use to do it. We had the whole audience afterwards follow me out to the lobby and they were like, okay, who's running for president here? What are we doing? So, I mean, I think people, there's there's an awareness of it. And I think, again, the big piece that hopefully the audience gets here is that you have to take it upon yourself to understand the language, understand the systems, understand the interconnectedness between all the systems to be able to protect yourself from it. They want you to be confused. They want you to be ignorant. They want you to be afraid to point things out for fear of losing livelihood or your friends. And we just have to be smarter than that, right? Like the Bible equips us. You're equipping us with all the work you're doing. There's so many people out there that are trying to give you what you need to stand in the gap and intercede on behalf of humanity right now. And it's just time to do it. We're on a tipping point. It's it's a very scary I think, place right now to be nearing 2023. Do you have any predictions for how important you think 2023 is going to be to the future of humanity? Well, I'm, I'm hoping for 2023 that more, you know, warriors for truth stand up and understand that the talking doesn't matter. The hot takes don't matter anymore. It, it matters what people do and what you do as an individual, what you do in your family and all of those things, it doesn't matter anymore what we say about what we believe or what we think if if we're not doing that, if our actions are not lining up. So I hope that 2023 is a year of action, of boldness, and that we stop apologizing, you know, explaining ourselves and that we, you know, what's the point of having morals, of worshiping God, if you're afraid of being free, of exercising freedom or being moral, you know, and, And I would also say that I hope that, you know, the joy of the Lord can be our strength, that we can find, you know, for me, laughter is, is so important, you know, and we, 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 we laugh as a family about some of this stuff. So we don't go crazy, but all of this is so heavy and we have to, in this spiritual battle to sustain ourselves and to make the experience of 
of this war more joyful, you know, and um, it sounds, you know, trite, but, you know, with our kids, when, we, when we're dealing with this stuff, sometimes we laugh about it. Like there was a book, you know, at a doctor's office and it said, um, you know, kid, all kids can play with trucks. Like as if somebody is saying, you know, all that you teachers can't. can't play with trucks. <laughs> and so we just laughed at it. We were, we, were, we were dying laughing, you know, at this book, just like how silly it is that somebody believes this is an issue and is using this as propaganda to confuse kids about their gender, you know, and, and, and so sometimes we just, you have to laugh at this insanity and, and, you know, cushion it with some joy and not just everything is so serious and can you believe they're doing this? And, you know, it's like, this is craziness. Like we, we cannot lose our joy or we will lose our fight. I think that's the best advice you could possibly give. And I think if you look at the truther community as a stark contrast to potentially a Christian truth-seeking community, I think that's where you start to see the divide. The truther community in general, everything's very dark and very panicky because they don't have the joy of the Lord, right? They don't have that true north. They don't know how the battle ends. They don't really have any faith in how the next few years are going to transpire. And then you see the Christian truth community, which, you know, of course, it, it's still dark. It's still there's still times that I hear things that take me days to try to let it go and remove it from my space and really focus on being present with the kids. But as you said, like we can still go on and have joy and enjoy each other and you know know that there is something bigger happening spiritually. And I think if people take this moment when they're face to face with this evil in the world, maybe this is the moment you find God. I hope that it is. You know, I think ultimately God uses all things, it's highly likely that God could use something this dark, decrepit, and destructive to hopefully open your eyes and realize the only way out of this is God. So that's... Absolutely. I mean, how, how can you function in this world without hope? I mean, and where does that hope come from? Because when you're blackpilled from everything happening, it's so easy to, to, to just sink into that and just lose hope. Um, so I, you know, I don't know how people do it. Like my heart breaks because that if without, without God and nothing, none of this makes any sense. And there really is no meaning, you know, to any of it. To, to well, and I think that's what they want to get people to willingly walk into the transhumanist agenda. They want this to have yes. no meaning. They want there to be no purpose. So the only way they can live on is to merge with machine and listen, listen to Landon and I, that is not the truth. That's not it. You're missing the whole bit. And even if, and I tell people this all the time, I was raised Jewish in Manhattan. I'm the last person that should believe in Jesus. I was raised to believe that believing in Jesus was like an adult believing in Santa Claus. So I'm here to tell you, even if you think it's all a crock, you think the Bible is a complete load of crap, do yourself a favor. This is the time. Just go pick it up. Even if you want to pick it up just to pick it apart, watch what God does in you. Go pick up the Bible. Go read it verse by verse. Start in the Old Testament. Don't go start in the New Testament. Just see what God does in you because it will, I've seen every time, transform every part of your life. Do you agree? 100%. And, and another thing I ask people is why is pedophilia wrong? You know, ask them to defend it, to, to explain why it's wrong. Because at the root of, of morality, if there's no foundation, that bottom just collapses. Absolutely. Nothing is wrong then. Why not be a pedophile? If it makes you happy, if it brings you joy, I mean, that, that there is, there's no structure to moral relativism and everything falls apart into meaninglessness. And, and what you said was so like, just cut deep because, 
it's almost like these people become so miserable that that's the lifeline, like merge with AI, you know, essentially. Well, I think that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I think that's it, right? I mean, if we look at it just biblically, Satan doesn't want God's children written in the book of life to be able to make it here. So abortion, that makes sense, right? We just try to cut them off before they even get here. And I believe that when it comes to the transhumanist agenda, it's like get them to willingly transfer themselves into this holding place that delays his time. It's just, again, this is why I go back. Even if you're reading the Bible purely like you're going to read a, a fiction book, you owe it to yourself to go at least read the script of what's unfolding right now and just watch how that changes you. Because I just, what we're seeing now daily, you can't deny it, right? I mean, even like something like Balenciaga where three days later they're like, oh my God, and now that we found that this person's tied to Marina Abramovic, it's like, guys, hello, we've been telling you this for years. So the idea that people now are like trying to find these breadcrumbs when the rest of us pieced this all together a long time ago, it's all in the Bible. Go read it the is. Bible. It is. It makes everything make so much more sense when you read it from that perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, that's one of my favorite things to get through to people is that, you know, whether you're a believer or you think it's a load of crap, you owe it to yourself to go dig in. What, are, what is it that you're going to lose? Are you going to, at very least, you'll come out at least being extra strong in your belief that it's a load of crap right? I don't think there's anything to lose there. So yeah. I know that you are on a tight timeline and I want to respect your time. We always end with some rapid fire questions. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. If 2022 had a senior yearbook name, what would it be? <laughs> I'm so bad at this. Uh, most likely chaos. to, okay. <laughs> most likely to be chaotic. Okay. Yes. What is the biggest mistake in your life and how did it impact who you become as an adult? That's a deep one. I don't. That's that's not a rapid fire question. That's Listen, girl. Deep. I go. I go. I go deep rapid. That's how we do things on this show. Deep rapid. Uh, I mean, I, I have so many mistakes that I've learned from. I'm trying the deepest one. Um, oh, okay. Was believing psychotropic medication, trusting big pharma would boom solve solution. Yeah, biggest okay. mistake. Biggest mistake. Now. If you didn't become who you actually are now, and obviously you, unlike other guests, have already had a previous entire career, what is the alternate version of what you could have become as an adult? Was there anything that you had set your sights on as a child that you think you could have become? Um, well, I, I, I mean, I, I would say psychologist. I, I just, I love people and I love understanding, you know, why they are the way they are. So I think that helping people, you know, working in the mental health space, that might've been something I would have been into. Working in it myself, I think you'd make a great therapist. Oh, thank you. So the next one, again, it's rapid fire, but it might take a second, and that's okay. If you were to create an ideal president, what three people would you combine, alive or dead? My husband. Ooh, I like that one. I concur. He's great. Jesus, I love because dead. He's you know, well, he's you know, physical. Uh, Jesus, my husband. Oh, I'm gonna get in trouble for this one, but Ron oh, go for it. Rhonda Sanders. Oh, she won there, ladies and gentlemen. There's the clip. Oh, there's the. I won't put it on if you don't want me to. But I mean, that's a whole separate thing. There, I have so many questions on that, and it goes back to what we were talking about with this idea that I think a lot of times the system tries to give us what we feel like is a choice. It's just perceived yeah. choice. Right. I wonder how much of that I, is I was perceived choice, that from but a place of re dealing with reality of what our choices are going to be. In yeah. Modern, you know. It certainly seems that's what the choice is looking like. Yeah. And I mean, neither here nor there, but the way some of the vaccine stuff is being handled on behalf of the other one whose name we won't name is just, come on, man. Who's your, who's your PR person? 
Trumpy, who is your PR person? Call us up. We'll help you stop digging an actual grave for yourself. Okay, you can only raise your kids with one book. That book is? The Bible. I thought that might be the answer, but, you know. Uh, the most important ingredient to raising an epic child is? Love for God. Amen to that. Landon, it was a absolute pleasure having you on the show. You are welcome absolutely anytime. Everyone go follow Landon Starbuck. We will be posting all of her information on the show notes. Go watch us on YouTube. Hit that like button. Subscribe for more great content. And uh, Landon, we would love to have you on again. So please keep in touch and let me know. Let us know how we can support. Thank you so much. This was such an incredible conversation. It was so fun, fun talking to you. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of The Modern Good. To find out more about Break Method, head to breakmethod.com and to check out my workshops and public speaking schedule, busygold.com. I'll see you next week.